welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And I begin the show this week with a thank you, direct to you, John. Uh, you had a lot of conviction in your University of Georgia minus nine and a half pick last week. You put extra pretend money on it. Uh, so even though I know almost nothing about college football, I saw that Play Sugar House had an even better spread of eight and a half. So I put real money on your pick. And you came through for me. Uh, about a million more pieces of good advice like this at the limits I'm comfortable betting at, and I can retire. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear, Eric. Uh, I did indeed love that game, and you'd think uh, living in New Jersey and be able to bet on sports legally uh, might have occurred to me to put a little little extra cash on that game, but uh, I'm glad uh, it worked out for you. Hey, uh, when when I win, you win. That's that's the way I view it. Okay, I'm looking for my check in the mail. <laughs> I meant it more um, sort of uh, in a figurative sense. I see. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so thank you to everybody out there for joining us for episode number 14 of Gamble On. Uh, you can find any of our previous 13 episodes on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Please leave us a rating and a review. And all you have to do is click the subscribe button to ensure that you never miss an episode. Yeah, and Eric, uh, coming up on this week's podcast, we'll be interviewing one of the most recognizable names in gambling journalism. Of course, that's ESPN's David Payne Purdom. Uh, he's going to talk about the work he does and the shifting focus of ESPN's coverage over the past six months since uh, PASPA was struck down by the U.S. Supreme Court in May. Uh, but first, we have a lot of news to cover, so let's start the show. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We try not to talk politics in any opinionated partisan way on this show, uh, but we have to talk about Tuesday's midterm elections uh, because there was a gambling-related amendment on the ballot in the always interesting state of Florida. Amendment 3 passed by a comfortable margin, about 71% approval, making it so that any new form of gambling in Florida, as well as any additional casinos, would need to receive 60% support from state voters. This is something Disney put a lot of money behind, more than $20 million. It's something the Seminole Tribe put a lot of money behind, and it's something the pro sports teams in the state came out against. Uh, the Miami Dolphins Twitter feed actually urged voters to oppose the amendment, indicating how far these teams and leagues have come in figuring out that sports betting is good for them. Um, but the amendment passed, and conventional wisdom out there is saying that that strongly hurts the chance of sports betting coming to Florida in the near future, except maybe something offered exclusively by the Seminoles. Uh, what's your takeaway, John? Is Florida now one of those states that's out of play for the next couple of years? Or do you expect the Seminole tribe to amend its compact and offer sports betting? Or I know you came across some alternative interpretations of the amendment. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you the floor to talk about that. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit about the 2016 uh, ballot question in New Jersey on whether to add two casinos in the northern half of the state. Uh, on paper, it was about ending Atlantic City's monopoly, raising more tax revenue, that sort of thing. But really, all the lobbying was by New York casino interests and by Atlantic City Casino, who figured that, well, that, uh, say, a Meadowlands casino might come in, might be bad for business. So that's where the all the money went and the ballot question uh, lost in a landslide. Uh, and here you have... Uh, a Native American tribe and Disney each figuring that more gambling in the state might be bad for their business. So they, they oppose it. And then the people then go along with the, the, the big money spending. So that's what they have in common. But this is a really strange one. And I, I talked to uh, Fort Lauderdale based uh, sports law attorney, Daniel Wallach about this today. And 
the fact is that this ballot question was written in 2015. Okay, uh, casino gambling, uh, according to the ballot question, is uh, defined in part by being a type of game typically found in a casino. Well, casino gambling uh, type of game typically found in a casino. I think that kind of makes sense. <laughs> so, um, so let's see, is sports betting typically found in a casino? Well, in 2015, it was about you know 30 something states have casinos and one has sports betting. So right. I'm pretty sure sports betting is not typically found in a casino as of 2015. And even as of today, it isn't typically found because the majority of states with casinos don't yet have sports betting. So um, Wallach and I both kind of agree that from a legal standpoint, I, I don't I don't see how this affects anything. That being said, there's a political issue here. And the perception, certainly the widespread perception down in Florida, I think, was that um, this did uh, impact on whether to expand sports betting. So a lot of people who who voted that way probably figured, well, great, I want to limit sports betting. I have concerns about it or what have you. So I'm going to vote this way and then I'm going to get what I want. So politically, I think it might be a little difficult. So I would move Florida down in my top 25 of states getting uh, sports <laughs> betting. They weren't in my top 10 anyway, uh, you know, right. although Florida's used to being up there in the past. Um, but I just from a political standpoint, I would move them down a couple of notches. But uh, I don't really think that this ballot question uh, legally impacts sports betting at all. Interesting. You know, I'm, I'm thinking here of the, the common cliche we hear of perception is reality. And maybe with regard to the political aspect, that's kind of true. With regard to the legal aspect, reality is reality. So whatever. Well, uh, well the, the, here's the weirdest part. So why did the Buccaneers and Dolphins spend more than a million dollars lobbying against something that has nothing to do with sport. They didn't even say it was because they want sports betting. They didn't say that. Right. And right. we make that assumption. But OK, so then what what is the money for? Just, to, you know, civic common cause. They'd like to see, you know, the legislature have more power instead of people or they don't like 60 percent of the people now having to pass something when it was only 50 percent of the legislature. I, the whole thing is a mess. Yeah. I mean, th those teams were obviously interpreting it the same way most of the public, uh, basically everyone other than Daniel Wallach was interpreting interpreting it. Um, but, you know, Daniel Wallach knows a lot more about uh, this legal business than I do. Um, it's a bit of a, a loophole. Sometimes these uh, loopholes work. Uh, th these is instances of, uh, you know, if you look at the wording, it didn't explicitly outlaw this form of gambling. Uh, a loophole is how daily fantasy sports uh, came to be. Um, on the other hand, I remember when the uh, UIGEA first passed, a lot of legal experts said it didn't apply to poker, which was a skill game uh, in their view, uh, but nobody ever succeeded in getting a carve out for poker clarified. So um, I don't know. I, I defer to Wallach's knowledge and understanding in general, um, but I, I can, can't even begin to guess which way this is going to go. Uh, I, I would just say that if there's a seminal monopoly on sports betting, you know, they, they own uh, eight casinos. That they spent $24 million in support of this bill. Uh, a monopoly is bad for, for everyone. If there's a monopoly and there's only one set of sports betting lines in the state, that's bad for consumers. Uh, and that'll keep a lot of them betting illegally, either with offshore books or, or with bookies, if they don't like the odds the Seminole casinos are, are giving them. So I, I hope that's not where we're headed, that we have a sports betting monopoly in Florida. Yeah, I mean, this is why even Wallach was uh, was very concerned about this amendment passing for the reasons you mentioned. He feels like there's a stone cold legal argument, and I think he's right. But A, yeah, politically it can be different. And B, sometimes you like with UIGA, you, you think you have a, a stone cold argument and then it, it doesn't work. So right. you know, he felt like the best thing would be just don't don't open Pandora's box here. And now the box is open. Right.
All right, so a lot to, to watch there uh, as this moves forward. But for now, uh, the, the big news is that the amendment has passed. Uh, moving on to story number two, the NHL announced a new sports gambling partnership on Monday morning at the Meadowlands Racetrack. Both the NHL and the New Jersey Devils announced separate deals with FanDuel. FanDuel will have its logo on the ice at the Prudential Center, uh, putting them in rather non-exclusive company, as William Hill and Caesars both already have their own deals with the Devils. Um, The NHL's deal with FanDuel figures to be mostly centered on DFS for now, since sports betting isn't legal in many states with NHL teams. Commissioner Gary Bettman was at Monday's press conference, and so were you, John, uh, on very little sleep after a red-eye home from the (laughs) West Coast, I might add. Um, So what stood out to you from this event? Uh, And in a few months' time, will there be any gaming companies left in New Jersey that don't have partnerships with the Devils? Yeah, I know some of the top Devils people pretty well, and I'm confident that they will continue to push the envelope. Uh, uh, Clearly, uh, you know, three different uh, sort of gambling entities have seen fit to to make their own individual deals with the Devils. And I think uh, others will look to find a niche in there, too. They this is a a kind of forward thinking, uh, gambling friendly uh, team uh, compared to, say, the Jets and the Giants. And so uh, I think there will be a lot of uh, partnerships sought. But what kind of stood out to me is that. with these things, uh, these press conferences in general, I call them dog and pony shows. Uh, you know, t- typically uh, the the big grand poobahs up on the dais, and this is, was televised live on NHL.com and all that NHL TV. So, um, you know, they they do their bit, and then when it's finished, you, you have no access to them because they don't want to be bothered by pesky questions. Um, <laughs> and here, NHL, you know, I'm looking at you, uh, Mr. Goodell. But anyway. Um, <laughs> NHL Commissioner Bettman was was willing to sort of face the music. He knew what questions I was going to have, which are, you know, you're in a lawsuit for, for, let's see, six years against New Jersey, uh, trying to uh, stop them from having sports betting. And on a dime in mid-May, when the U.S. Supreme Court says, oh, it's okay to have sports betting, um, and in June it passes, suddenly he's he's embracing it. And um, he was willing to take a basically – sort of agreed with turn on a dime. Uh, he was more focused really on uh, uh, kind of, a, well, it's ancient history and you can't stick your head in the sand and that sort of thing. You know, um, I've heard anecdotally that he really wasn't thrilled with the ruling in, in his own heart of hearts. But um, I think the league's one-year experience with the Vegas Golden Knights probably softened him up. Uh, mm-hmm. There was some concern in NHL circles about, you know, how that would play out and would the fans not react the same way? Would they be seeming to be rooting on over-unders for goals more than the Vegas Golden Knights and that sort of thing? But uh, none of that happened. I'm not surprised. Or you're not surprised. But none of that happened. So I, I think that helped uh, the commissioner be a little more comfortable. But it's full steam ahead now, NHL and gambling. Yeah, and you wrote about this uh for our sister site in New Jersey, uh, NJOnlineGambling.com. And so I read all of the the quotes you had from uh, Gary Bettman in there. And I commend Bettman for being upfront about his hypocrisy and his change of heart. Uh, in, In not so many words, he's saying... I used to be opposed to sports betting when that seemed to serve my purposes, but now it's legal and there's money to be made. Uh, the NHL stands to benefit from it. So, okay, good enough for me. Um, you know, th- there's not a lot of double talk there. He's being reasonably honest about the fact that the situation has changed and money talks. Yeah, I think so. And I think he's uh, he's recognizing it. Right. Exactly. There's money to be made. So uh, we're going to make it. Yep. OK, moving on to our final story of the week. Uh, we don't usually talk sports results in the news portion of the show, but we will this week because the sports results added up to a legitimate gambling industry story. This past NFL Sunday was a brutal one for the sports books. Uh, ESPN.com's David Payne Purdom spoke to numerous Las Vegas bookmakers after a Sunday that saw nearly all of the favorite 
favorites and the public teams win and cover. And one of them told him, quote, it's one of the worst NFL Sundays that I can remember, end quote. Uh, Purdom's industry sources estimated that Vegas lost 7 to $10 million in NFL bets on the day. And it's not just Vegas. Uh, a parlay at the Bet Stars online sportsbook in New Jersey uh, saw – uh, someone bet $8 uh, and change and turned that into nearly $11,000. Um, so it was an epically bad week for the bookmakers. Um, but I don't think too many people are shedding a tear for them. Uh, is it me, John, or do the sports books love this kind of publicity, the opportunity to spread the word that, hey, sometimes the public kicks our butt? Oh, I mean, absolutely. That's uh, especially because as anyone who's been to a sports book knows, there's a real camaraderie among those sort of betters, uh, not only in trading the hunches on games, but just enjoying seeing the other guy win. You know, it's not a paramutual scenario like horse racing where, you know, gamblers really are tackling each other in the house and the and the house just takes its cut. And sports betting, everyone can win and they rarely do, but it, it can happen. And it did here. It's this is just a loss leader. Um, you know, well, I guess the house cleans up in the next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's kind of what I'm figuring. I mean, you know, this is the kind of thing that happens uh, on occasion, but you don't want to blow it out of proportion. A, a loss of seven to 10 million in one week is considered a bloodbath for the books. But in September, they averaged winning $10 million a week. So one historically awful week roughly evens out with one average week. Um, and now betters have more money to come back to the books with and lose back to them in bigger increments this weekend. Um, so it's one of those stories that's that's fun and interesting. You know, the house loses, but it's purely a short term thing. They'll uh, they'll get it right back either either this week or, you know, at worst, the following week. The house always wins in the eventually, I guess we'll say in this case. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. Well, we just spent a few minutes talking about uh, David Payne Purdom's coverage of this story. What do you say we get to our interview segment and uh, talk to the man himself? Let's do it. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. We now welcome to the podcast a man who spends even more hours per week living and breathing the sports betting world than John or I do, uh, maybe even more than John and I combined. Uh, he is a staff writer for ESPN.com and really the lead writer for ESPN's Chalk Vertical. David Payne Purdom, welcome to Gamble On. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, so you've been at ESPN since uh, 2014. Uh, this question could have a long answer, but I guess just focusing on the top line couple of items to keep it from being too lengthy. How has your job changed since May 14th when the Supreme Court reversed PASPA? Oh, I'm sure we have a lot of the same parallels. You guys do and Mr. Brennan there. Uh, it's gotten busier. The uh, interest in sports betting overall, uh, boy, it's really increased at ESPN. You know, when I first started working at ESPN, I came from a newspaper and some smaller websites. It took me a while to grasp how big ESPN is, really is, so many facets and how much coverage do they have of so many different events and so many NFL writers and all aspects of the game. So to realize that sports betting was just a tiny, tiny sliver of that was kind of a tough adjustment coming from sites that were focused on sports betting. But I'd say that pie, that little piece of the, the ESPN coverage pie has probably doubled. Uh, since this and it has gotten a lot busier for sure hmm. and, and i assume you've been you've been getting reached out to more to uh, appear on this show or that show and and uh, give your expert advice uh since sports betting has gone uh more more mainstream yeah absolutely i'm, I'm not very tv pretty but they put me on there <laughs> definitely more since uh since this decision i think you know it, 
the decision kind of made people more comfortable. And I'm sure you've probably mm. seen that people that were a little bit, eh, I don't know if we want to talk about gambling. Uh, now it seems like it's, people are a little more comfortable and accepting of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, David, I noticed in your brief bio on Twitter there, uh, you mentioned you are not good at gambling, quote unquote. Uh, let me guess, do you ever get any requests for your lock of the week? <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I, I, I would get those and people would want me to come on and handicap a game and break down all these things. And I was like, Boy, that's just not really my approach to this. I'm I'm a reporter, uh, so I tried to put something on there that made it clear so people wouldn't think. Um, now I joke around and I'll give a pick out here or there, but uh, I am not a good gambler. I am certainly down uh, for my sports betting career without question. And even more, when I do bet, I bet like twenty two dollars to win twenty just for fun to watch a game at night or whatever. So uh, I would not take my gambling advice for sure. <laughs> yeah, I found friends and even family. You know, now that I cover this industry full time, although I was covering it pretty extensively for years, but they say oh, I didn't realize you were so into gambling. And I said, you know, what I'm into is covering a fascinating growth industry. You know, particularly since it sort of fell into my lap, as you know, when New Jersey began sowing the seeds of this gambling revolution, sports betting revolution, almost a decade ago. So that's the reason I'm doing. It, but it's, it's hard for uh, the outsider sometimes to understand that. Oh, you nailed it when you said, you know, it is a fascinating industry to write about. When I, I was covering traditional sports, uh, you know, for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, high school, college, Falcons, Braves, so forth. And, and then to start to write more about the gambling and the stories that came out of it, it really was kind of like I'm used to my writing. Uh, it really kind of you know enthralled me, and, and I really got interested and just loved the stories that come out of it. I'm just curious, actually, to follow up on on John's question. There, uh, you, you addressed uh, sports betting, and that you you know you're, you're you're not necessarily a winner overall, and you keep it small. Are are there any uh, forms of gambling that you are good at, uh, or or does that statement "I am not good at gambling" really apply to everything for you? I am excellent at negotiating odds in a pool match. I played pool for a long time <laughs> in my life. I'm a pretty accomplished pool player, I would say, for the general public. There's certainly tons of people way better than me, but I, I played in some high-level leagues, and I played for a, more, I bet more money on a pool game than I ever have on a, on a, a sporting event, for sure. So uh, I like to pride myself at making sure that I, I get the absolute best of the number when I'm negotiating odds on pool. Okay, but but you don't have a a, a nickname where it's a, the name of a city or a state followed by your name. You're not that good at pool. No, no, that would be great. I'd be New Orleans Dave because that's okay. what I really started playing pool was in New Orleans. Gotcha. Um, so Las Vegas remains the sports betting capital of, of the U.S., home to most of the bookmakers that you quote regularly in your articles. Do you see any way that that changes, that another state could eventually become the home to the best bookmakers and, and the center of the action for American sports betting? Well, I think New Jersey will surpass Nevada pretty quickly, you know, within a couple, three, five years in terms of the amount bet, the handle. Um, now, it's going to take a long time before Las Vegas is not looked at as the epicenter of sports betting in the U.S. But in terms, if you just looked at money wagered, I, I think John would, would agree with me here that it, it is expected to surpass uh, Nevada. Well, we have $4.5 billion wagered in Nevada on sports in, in 2017. We're going to surpass $5 billion this year pretty easily. But I think New Jersey will, will, will catch that, uh, you know, three to five years. So straight handle, yeah, I definitely think there'll be a replacement now if you look at the mystique of las vegas and the you know the lore of it 
uh, that'll be a long time. Nevada will have that advantage for a long time. Right. Okay. And I'm curious of all these bookmakers that you do regularly interview, do you have a favorite, someone who's especially colorful and, and quick to share a, a big scoop or a great quote? Um, you know, Jay Cornegay at the Westgate Superbook, I, in fact, when I was uh, messaging with him uh, on Sunday when the books just got smashed, right? Uh, he, he gave me, you know, oh, we took a knockout or a, a study punch to the gut, but we're not knocked out yet. The Patriots can be there. Whatever. He, had, he always seems to uh, put the right tone on it because his last thing that he said in that was, yeah, but we're going to be open on Tuesday. So uh, <laughs> he, he always has a nice little clever things to say. Uh, I've been working on a book with Art Manteris, who is one of the mm. longest tenured uh, sportsbook directors in Las Vegas, a guy that goes back to 1978. He's a uh, vice president of risk over at uh, Station Casino Sportsbooks now. Uh, so Art and I have a really good relationship as well. But, you know, I, I wrote about this. I don't know if you guys saw the story this week a little bit just about what it's like calling those guys every sunday night and i've done it for almost a decade now and boy you can really hear the tone in their voice when it's a bad day and uh, the other times when they win big they're trying to kind of downplay it tone it down a little bit but for the most part uh i think they are pretty uh, genuine in their answers all right uh you know david when, when atlantic city and new jersey broke the nevada casino monopoly in 1978 the assumption was, well, others, other states will soon follow. And, and that, in reality, it took about 15 years to even add another state, which surprised people. Uh, then I firsthand saw New Jersey and Delaware add online casino gaming in 2013. And again, there were great expectations, particularly on the online poker people. that Oh, we're going to quickly uh, have other states. They'll do it in six months or a year. And it's really just now, five years later, they're starting to move forward. Uh, Pennsylvania's joined on, but uh, it's been much slower than expected. But now we get to sports betting, and in only these five or six months, this seems to be rolling out as fast as we expected. Oh, a bunch of states will sign up right away, and they have not many surprises. I guess New Mexico qualifies, but um, do you think this will be the time when we just check off the expected boxes for a few years, or do you think there's going to be any more big surprises along the way in terms of uh, how fast or slow the states actually move on with this? Good question. I definitely think there's going to be some surprises, but I'll think they would probably be more in hiccups or troubles that we uh, hurdles we did not anticipate um, in terms of states popping up quickly. You know, I think the ones are it's kind of all out there on the map. You got, uh, you know, from Illinois to Michigan to Connecticut to K- uh, Kentucky, uh, you know, Oklahoma, Arkansas. Uh, I think we're going to move pretty quickly. I, the surprises would be, I guess, how quickly if a Florida was able to avoid that amendment somehow, work around that one that passed that uh, put a hurdle in front of them legalizing sports betting. I think Florida would be a big surprise. Uh, if California was some way to uh, get something up in the next couple of years, I think that would be a surprise too, and that would be a huge game changer, especially for Nevada. All right. Well, fantastic stuff. Uh, it has been a pleasure speaking with you, David. Um, I don't know how it's possible for anyone to follow the sports gambling industry without following David on Twitter. Uh, but just in case any of our listeners uh, don't follow uh, David, you can find him at David Purdom on Twitter. Uh, so, David, thanks uh, so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, guys. You guys have a nice podcast, a good product out there. Keep it up. Thanks, thanks David. David. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
We will get to the Fast Five shortly, but we start, as always, with our shared bankroll, where one of last week's bets was a futures bet, uh, but otherwise, we went two for three, putting us even further into the black. Uh, You split your two college football bets, uh, but you made the winning one a higher wager, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, So you lost $110 on LSU, but you won $150 on Georgia, netting us $40 overall. And my bet of over 51 total points in the Chiefs-Browns game was a winner good for another hundred dollars of profit uh in terms of futures bets we're not looking so great at the moment the todd Gurley mvp case took a hit with the rams losing for the first time and while we have our mahomes hedge drew Brees is uh definitely scaring me a little bit uh for what it's worth at play sugar house mahomes closed from plus 275 where we bet him all the way down to plus 120 now uh, and Breeze is at plus 275, while Gurley is now at plus 550. Uh, checking in on our other futures bets, we're in big trouble on both the Browns over and the Dolphins under. Uh, the Celtics over and the Spurs under are both looking iffy, although it's obviously very early in the NBA season. Our little $20 bet on Royce Freeman to win the rushing title is a total bust. And the Eagles to win the NFC East took a small positive turn last weekend. Bottom line, we need to keep padding our bankroll because unless the Gurley bet pays off, the futures bets are going to hurt us overall. In any case, we are now up $320 with $1,620 tied up in futures bets, leaving us $8,700 available to bet this week. And you're up first, John. Uh, yeah, and uh, Eric, uh, I will note last week, as you mentioned, that you know finally I I did the obvious, but I bet more on the game I like better than the second game, and, <laughs> yep. and uh, you know it, it it's an obvious thing, but if I'm not thinking about it, uh, probably a lot of casual bettors aren't. Um, you don't have to just keep, uh, especially when you keep going one and one, you you get killed by the vigorous. So yep. uh, definitely, uh, you want to vary it a little bit, and uh, uh, I think if you know if you know what you're doing, you'll you'll do better that way. I'm not sure I do, but here we go. <laughs> uh, Wisconsin plus eight at Penn State for 150 then. Uh, the Nittany Lions are coming off a disastrous 35-point loss to Michigan, and I don't think Saquon Barkley is coming back to save that sorry <laughs> offense anytime soon. So uh, the number 22 Badgers aren't perfect, but they'll make life more uh, miserable with a road win here. And, uh, and, and what's the amount on that one? 150. Okay, so we're going for the, the big bet there. Okay. For my first bet, um, you know, I found some odds on Play Sugar House that were just way too long. Uh, I have to bet them. They have odds up for various NFL quarterbacks to win the passing yards title. Here are the current NFL passing yards standings. Patrick Mahomes leads with 2,901. Jared Goff is in second place, 85 yards behind at 28-16. Then there's a drop-off of 131 yards to both Matt Ryan and Kirk Cousins, tied at 26-85. Then Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and so on. Now, here are Play Sugarhouse's odds to finish the season with the most passing yards. Matt Ryan has the shortest odds, plus 250. Mahomes, plus 350. Roethlisberger, plus 350. Rodgers, plus 400. And then you get to Goff at plus 800. I don't get it. Goff is in second place in the league right now, just 85 yards out of first place. He's showing no signs of slowing down, has a variety of excellent targets in his receiving core, not to mention Gurley out of the backfield. I feel like plus 800 is about double what that number should be. So I am putting $50 on Goff to win 400 if he finishes with the league lead in passing yards. Yeah, I, I am kind of picturing Ryan uh, breaking some hearts by playing in week 17 while Goff and Mahomes sit out with a bye. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think very possible. Factored into the odds, yeah. So um, my other one is uh, this will be $100, kind of doubling down on uh, me again not buying Kentucky. I, I didn't buy them last week, and uh, I won that one. And uh, I'll take four points at home with Tennessee, which uh, I would say will volunteer for an outright win, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> as the Wildcat season strikes midnight again. 
Okay, and that's and that's your uh, your smaller bet amount on that one. You, you're mixing it up like you did last week. Yes. Okay. Um, well, I've been doing well with the overs and unders, so I'm going to stick with that for my second bet this week. The line uh, on Rams Seahawks is 50 and a half points. They combined for 64 when they met in week five. The Seahawks defense is not what it once was. The Rams offense averages 33.2 points per game, while their defense gives up 22.2. This line feels about three points too low to me. So I'm taking the over, betting $110 to win 100 uh, over 50 and a half points. And we wrap up with the fast five. Uh, after week eight, you were 20, 19, and one. I was 16, 21, and three. And week nine was a huge one for both of us. Uh, our two shared picks both won. Uh, you went four and one on the week. And I banked what I believe is the first perfect week either of us has had going five and oh. Uh, and by the way, I followed uh, a lot of those picks in one form or another uh, on the New Jersey online sites and uh, had a 10 and 0 NFL sports betting week with real money uh kind of wish i'd picked this week to try a parlay but uh still i will i will happily take uh take the clean sweep on my bets um anyway you are still in the lead with a solid 24 20 and 1 record while i've pulled back to 500 with a record of 21 21 and 3 and you're up first this week well now we got nine and one and uh, the seahawks were down eight with a minute to go and had the ball uh nice little touchdown two-point conversion and win in overtime and we could have <laughs> run the table but uh that's not bad because yeah you know sometimes uh your our misses are by 35 points and that's a little disheartening i was you know right. uh, not a great pick but not uh, not the worst of the week so uh that, what a comeback by you by the way very impressive thank you uh, so there, there's still there's still work to be done Yes, there is. Uh, I'm going to start with the Falcons minus three and a half on the Browns. Uh, I've completely surrendered on my Browns five and a half wins pick. Uh, they, they were better than a lot of people thought. I got that right. Um, but they've had some bizarre losses and a tie. And now they're better off chasing a top five pick again next year, I think. So uh, Falcons are on a mission. Uh, number two, Patriots minus six at Titans. We're in the second half of the season now. And uh, speaking of missions, <laughs> the, Patri the Patriots are the far better team. So I'm lucky to not give up a touchdown. Uh, there's a kind of a weird notion out there that maybe Belichick will take it easy on his pal, first-year Titans coach, Mike Vrabel. Uh, I think that's comical. Um, I mean, maybe at 31 nothing, he gives a little bit of a break that he wouldn't give someone else, but uh, he's certainly not going to leave it in the minus six territory for, uh, for his buddy. Uh, Saints minus four and a half at Bengals. Um, I think it's again, it's time for the cream to rise to the crop and the Saints are showing there that uh, no AJ Green means no Bengals win. That's it's that simple. Uh, Packers minus seven and a half points versus the Dolphins. Love this game. Love when the far superior team uh, has the, the lesser record. You know, the, the so that team has got to win. And the other team knows they're come on. The Dolphins are five and four. They're not a they're not a five and four team and they know it. Uh, they're two and four the last six weeks. But uh, they know they're dead and the Packers must win and they will win. And I have one uh, final game here. I, I just can't resist. Uh, this worked pretty well early in the year. Uh, Cardinals plus 17 versus the Chiefs. Uh, just too many. Uh, I thought 16 and a half for the Bills against the Vikings was too many. And um, the Bills won that game by a couple of touchdowns early in the year. Um, Cardinals are not going to win this game. But uh, I think uh, that's getting into territory where the, the Chiefs, uh, uh, I mean, this game's too easy for them, and uh, they they make they make clear seventeen early enough. But uh, Cardinals have shown vague, vague, vague signs of life, and uh, it's enough for me to to give them a shot. All right. Well, the this is a good sign because uh, 
just like last week, we have two shared picks and no head-to-heads. Um, so that worked out well for us last week. Uh, let's let's see about this week. Uh, for my picks, um, I'm starting with the Thursday night game. Um, I don't love backing Carolina as a road team against Pittsburgh as a home team, but six and a half points is a little too much. Uh, the Panthers are starting to gel. I don't really expect them to win outright, but I think they can keep it close or or at least score a garbage time touchdown to cut it to six or less. Uh, so I'm taking the Panthers uh, there uh, getting six and a half. Uh, second, the Bears are rolling. The Lions are sputtering. The Bears might get Khalil Mack back this week. Give me Chicago giving six points. Um, I don't get how this line is smaller than the Steelers Panthers line. The The Bears are prohibitive favorites in my book. The next one is one of our shared picks. I don't totally love it, uh, but I'm taking the Saints as four-and-a-half-point favorites on the road against the Bengals. Uh, It's a very public move, I think, kind of a casual better type move to take the hot team on the road like this. But as you said, Cincinnati is without A.J. Green, and that's a big deal. So I think the Saints, winners of seven straight, can keep their momentum going and win and cover. Um, And the next one here is our other shared pick, and I'm really holding my nose as I make this one. Uh, The Cardinals stink. Uh, The Chiefs are an offensive monster. But 17 points, like you said, it's just too much. Um, and uh, I was going to reference the same game that you did, that Vikings-Bills game. Uh, I'm not saying the Cards are going to win outright like the Bills did, um, but I think they'll get up for this game. The Chiefs are due for a minor letdown. I like Arizona to keep it within 17. Um, and lastly, you can never go too horribly wrong betting against the Giants. And uh, the 49ers are feeling good with their new quarterback savior, Nick Mullins. This is an awful game, a really bum draw for Monday Night Football. I bet at the start of the season they looked at Giants 49ers in Week 10 and were, were pretty excited. But uh, no, this is a terrible game. The Niners are favored by two and a half. I love that extra half point I'm getting. So I'm taking the Niners at home to win by at least a field goal. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to all of you out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, do your thing and take us out. All right, Eric, uh, let's uh, go 9-1 and one again this weekend. And uh, until next time, everybody, gamble on. <laughs>